Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to another episode of Blitzcast, and we're going to start the show with the Colts and the Titans. Those are the two teams that are fighting for the AFC South division, and that's the question that I'm going to pose for Ed. Who do you think is going to take this division? I mean, both teams look like playoff caliber teams, but the seeding does matter, especially this year. Who do you have, Ed? Do you have the Titans or the Well, I, I think from a quarterback perspective, I mean, the Titans, you know, Tannehill is having a better year than Phillip Rivers. I mean, Rivers is kind of on his way out. But I would say, you know, the Colts have a pretty good defense, and I think that matters in all this. I think I think that could be the difference between, you know, these two teams. According to Bavada Sportsbook, the Colts are minus three and a half at home versus the Titans. It is the big game in the AFC South. I agree with you. I mean, the Colts have an elite defense, I would say. I mean, we saw what they did against the Packers. And against Aaron Rodgers, nobody gave them a shot to win, yet they came out there and they they beat them. And uh, we saw that Jonathan Taylor, your Jonathan Taylor, finally got it going a little bit on the ground. I think the offensive line hasn't been that stellar as it has been the last couple of years. But the defense, Phillip Rivers not making mistakes, Michael Pittman finally... He feels more comfortable in this offense, and he's hitting his stride. I also would give the edge to the Colts because, look, the Titans have Tannehill and they have Derrick Henry, and Tannehill is taking care of the ball. He's not turning it over. He's really solid on play-action passes. Derrick Henry already has over a 1,000 yards rushing. Corey Davis is finally living up to his draft status this year. But the thing is, Titans' defense stinks. They released Michael Beasley. They got rid of Jonathan Joseph this season just because they weren't playing up to par. The Clowney signing has been a disaster. He's been dealing with injuries and hasn't been that that impact defender that the Titans were hoping for. I think losing left tackle Taylor Luan to an ACL injury has been a big blow to this team. Look, the Titans will make the playoffs, and I think... They might make a similar run like they did last year, but they need to play better defense because they haven't done so. This Titans team is just not as good as the Colts on the defensive side of the ball, and I, I think that's really the difference. And Could you say this is fair that Clowney is a little bit of a bust? I mean, when you consider what they said about him, you know, leading up to the draft and him being the number one pick. And, you know, I mean, they, they said this guy is going to come in and he's going to dominate the NFL. I mean, is this, is what we're seeing, is this worst case scenario with Jadavian Clowney? Look, when you're a number one overall pick, which he was uh, by the Houston Texans, I would say that he has been a bust so far because people were expecting him to be that 10 to 12 sack guy every year. And he's dealt with injuries. He's had some conditioning issues. People have questioned his work ethic off the field. Absolutely, he's been a disappointment. As a run defender, he's really good when he's healthy. And that's where he made his mark with the Houston Texans. But 
there's a reason why the Houston Texans didn't want to give him that that big-time deal, sign him long-term. I think that was basically a sign of Bill O'Brien and the Texans organization saying, hey, Jadavian Clowney is a nice player, but he's not the guy that's going to take us to the promised land. And that's the reason why they got rid of him in the first place. And we're seeing right now that the Clowney just can't stay healthy. And yeah, I would say for a number one overall pick, he hasn't been like Jamarcus Russell type of bust. But I would say that he's been really, really disappointing. Let's uh, move on to the NFC and let's talk about the Saints. And the Saints have been gaining steam here. I mean, right now they're 8-2. Drew Brees missed the game due to a ribs injury. But Taysom Hill, surprise, surprise there, Ed. Last week you and I talked about him. We were sure that Sean Payton was going to start Jameis Winston. Because he was going to give him that opportunity to throw the ball down the field. Kind of spread the ball around. I mean, Winston was more of a... To us, Winston was more of a logical choice to be the starting quarterback while Taysom Hill comes in and just becomes that that specialty guy, that wildcat quarterback who brings a different dimension, who can run with the football. Well, Sean Payton certainly disagreed with us, and he started Taysom Hill. And Hill led the Saints to a victory as the starting quarterback. Now, he makes a case that he's their quarterback of the future. Uh, What do you think about that? Well, I think they were smart to sign him to a, 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 a sizable deal and get him under contract. I mean, I, you see, you see a lot of these teams. Like, I mean, you look at the Patriots now, and you know they let Jimmy G go, and they let you know other guys. I mean, and so when Brady it was time for Brady to move on, um, they didn't have the quarterback. And I mean, I think I think the Patriots had the cap space. I mean, the Saints are smart. You know, they they have a they have a plan B, and I think that guy is is Taysom Hill and he's already a dynamic gadget player for you on the uh, on the offensive side of the ball when Drew Brees is in there and now he gives you you know a, a backup quarterback who can win games for you. Yeah, I mean Taysom Hill is really he's definitely he's definitely at a high point in his career right now. Well, obviously the Saints chose Taysom Hill over Teddy Bridgewater. They weren't willing to give Bridgewater the money that he got from the Carolina Panthers. And they re-signed Taysom Hill, which was a signal that Sean Payton really likes him. Are you buying the fact that the Saints are committed to Taysom Hill long-term as their starting quarterback when Drew Brees walks away? I am. I mean, when you fa- the fact is, is that he started, he was 18 for 23 passing for 233 yards. He was their leading rusher. He ran for 51 yards. Yeah, I mean, definitely. They gave him the money. They they started him over Jameis Winston. And if this is a situation in New Orleans, why did Jameis Winston sign with the Saints? I mean, there were plenty of other teams that would have given him a better option. The NFL is showing us this year that you need to have a good backup quarterback. You also need to have a good third quarterback in this league because you just, you never know. With COVID-19, a lot of teams are struggling right now to to try to find a a capable backup quarterback right now. I mean, Mike Glennon is getting the start for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I didn't even know he was still in the league. Same thing with the Cowboys. I mean, when Andy Dalton went down after Dak Prescott went down, the Cowboys were left scrambling to bring in Cooper Rush. It's unbelievable. So the Saints, I guess, 
we're one step ahead. I mean, they signed Winston, and it's it's not bad to have two guys right now with with Drew Brees being down. But yeah, Hill showed promise as a passer. I mean, he showed velocity on his passes, especially in the intermediate area, his ability to throw on the move, and he made good reads. And I thought Sean Payton took the handcuffs off in the second half and let him hit some of those shots. And it's not even about Hill. I mean, the Saints' defensive front took over that game. I mean, they sacked Matt Ryan eight times. The Saints' defense right now is hitting on all cylinders. And you know what? You might get your wish, Ed. I remember you picking the Saints to win the Super Bowl, for Drew Brees to to walk away and you know ride off into the sunset, to go to Disneyland. You might get that wish because right now the Saints are just playing on all cylinders. The, the defense, the secondary is playing better. And like I mentioned, the defensive front is just playing lights out right now. To be honest with you, I mean, with the injury that Drew Brees had, I mean, when you break that many ribs and have a collapsed lung, I mean, I I just don't see how Brees could come back for another year. I mean, so I, I think this is either, you know, you know, this is a put up or shut up year for, for the Saints. I mean, you either you either win the Super Bowl or you don't. And otherwise, if you don't, I mean, you, 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 you've got to roll with Taysom Hill and hopefully he's he's their uh, Super Bowl quarterback of the future. Well, it looks like they are going to roll with Taysom Hill, and the the Saints are in pretty good hands at the quarterback position. It just shows, once again, that Sean Payton knows how to develop those quarterbacks, that the Saints have a friendly quarterback system where they can plug in, I'm not saying any guy, but a guy that knows their system, they're able to plug him in, and they're fine. They're able to survive. We saw it last year with Teddy Bridgewater winning five games. Now we're seeing the same thing with Taysom Hill. Sean Payton is turning out to be a a heck of a coach. And when Sean Payton was on Bill Parcells' staff with the Cowboys when he was his offensive coordinator, there was a reason why Bill Parcells was mad Sean Payton leaving for the New Orleans Saints because I think... Bill Parcells was leaving that seat open for Sean Payton with the Dallas Cowboys because Parcells moved on shortly after that. I remember that story. And like I said, Bill Parcells knows coaching talent. This week, Bovada has the Saints minus six on the road over the Broncos. Let's uh, talk about the best NFL rookies so far this year. It's been... A lot of them. I mean, this draft was was a really good one. Uh, the 2020 NFL draft will always go down as as the best wide receiver draft possibly of all time. And there are already a lot of rookies contributing to their respective NFL teams. So before we get to the quarterback, Ed, let's talk about some of the wide receivers that have impressed you so far this year. Well, I mean, the first name that obviously comes to mind is Justin Jefferson. I mean, he's having a great year with Minnesota. And I mean, this is a guy who, you know, had a great year at LSU. There was some question about whether his game would translate to the NFL, the way he had dominated at LSU. And, you know, he was on a good team at LSU, but now he's doing it with the Vikings. And so that really is impressing me. Um, Another guy who I was actually surprised he went in the first round, Brandon Ayuk. You know, for the 49ers, he's having a good year, too. I mean, he's, you know, Debo Samuel has been out most of the year. And so a guy like Ayuk has really stepped up for them. 
again, a, a friendly system uh, with San Francisco and Kyle Shanahan loves those wide receivers that can do things after the catch and Ayuk has stepped up. We got to talk about CeeDee Lamb. I mean, even though Dak Prescott went down, I mean, CeeDee Lamb is still making those circus catches. His ball skills have been on display and they've been amazing. I mean, this guy just doesn't drop passes. He's playing out of the slot because the Cowboys have Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. But man, the Raiders blew it, Ed. I mean, they had a chance to draft CeeDee and they drafted Henry Ruggs. And I think... I don't want to jump on this and say that we'll see what Henry Ruggs will bring. It's not only about his rookie season. We'll see what he does during his second or third year. But this is just magnified. You don't take CD. You don't take Jerry Judy. You don't take Justin Jefferson. But you take a man who ran a 4-2-8 at the Combine and you select him number 12 overall. And Henry Ruggs is, is struggling with the Raiders right now. I also want to mention Chase Claypool. I mean, we got to mention him. I mean, this is a guy that scored four touchdowns in one game, three receiving and one rushing. And the, this guy is, what, 6'4", 235 pounds. But it's tough to get your hands on him at the line of scrimmage. And he's been doing really well with those releases. And so those are the wide receivers that have stepped up this year. Let's talk about the quarterbacks. Let's talk about Chargers quarterback, Justin Herbert, your guy, a guy that's going to be attached to your hip from now on because you were, once again, a a big believer in Justin. Let's talk about him. He's obviously the favorite now for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Yeah, I mean, he's having a great year, and and the Chargers aren't really winning, but he's... He's playing good and he's putting up numbers and you know I I, th- I think really the Chargers' future looks bright. They're really going to build up their roster and they're going to get Herbert some weapons and they're really going to build up this defense. And so, to be honest, I, I think I think the Chargers right now may not be good, but you know give them give them a few years. And I mean, there's some question about whether Anthony Lynn is the right guy for the job, and that'll be that'll be something to watch. You know, for the end of the season, you know, is he is he still going to be kept? But as far as as far as what I see out of Justin Herbert, yeah, he is offensive rookie of the year. He's putting up the stats. He's, you know, he had great tape at Oregon. Like I said, I think the only mistake was that he didn't come out a year earlier. Well, the one thing is, I mean, the Chargers have unleashed him. Something that I've mentioned on this show over and over again. Something that the Oregon's offensive scheme didn't allow him uh, to do, and. The Chargers are allowing Justin Herbert to throw the ball downfield, and he's been one of the more accurate NFL passers this year. I mean, he's up there in top three or top five in terms of his accuracy downfield on those deep shots, and that that's amazing to me because that's something that, that people questioned. We knew he had the arm, he had the athleticism, he had the size, but he has been able to digest that that offensive playbook and just they have trusted him each and every week they've opened it up a little bit more and he's definitely making it work let's talk about another rookie quarterback that was having a really good year as well Joe Burrow who went number one overall to the Cincinnati Bengals he gave Cincinnati hope and he showed that Cincinnati made a really good move by selecting him because he didn't look like a rookie Against Washington, Joe Burrow tore his ACL and MCL, and he's out for the season. And there's some question marks whether he is going to play at all. And 
in 2021 because it's a serious injury. Joe Burrow absolutely took that injury like a boss. I mean, for him to, they said there are structural issues with his knee. I mean, he tore his ACL, he tore his MCL. I mean, that was that was about as bad of a knee injury as it gets. And I mean, he was he was tweeting, you know, after the game. I mean, he was tweeting, you know, on his way to the hospital. He's tweeting, I'm going to be back next year. And when a guy goes down like that, when he has that never say die attitude. I mean, it just it just shows the character of Joe Burrow, and I mean, he showed it in his last year at LSU. I mean, this is a guy. I mean, this is a guy who he was not a highly touted recruit. Sure, he played at Ohio State, but I mean, he wasn't. He didn't ever got the uh, the starting job at Ohio State, and he transferred to LSU. And you know, he he kind of was just kind of the guy who won the job at LSU. And then it was like, you know, it was like LSU finally has a quarterback. And then, and then his senior year, I mean, he just, I mean, it was just a magical season his last, his last year. I mean, I, I think, I think this guy has it mentally upstairs and he's going to, I think he's going to be a, a really good NFL quarterback. I think it was already evident during his rookie season behind the terrible offensive line that he was making throws and he was just, he was able to, to make that offense work. He has pass catchers this year with A.J. Green and Tyler Boyd, but man, the Bengals address that offensive line because you draft a franchise quarterback, you need to protect your million-dollar investment. Don't make the same mistake that the Houston Texans made back in the day when they selected David Carr number one overall, and then he was taking 70-plus sacks every year, and then the, the man was out of the league. Don't make the same mistake. Learn from past mistakes that other franchises made and address that offensive line in in the 2021 NFL draft. Before we move on, let's talk about some other rookies that have impressed you this year. The guy I I like is uh, James Robinson from the Jaguars. And, uh, you know, I I liked his tape in college. He, He was kind of more of a small school guy, but he was a guy who really dominated at that level. I, I think that carried over, and you know he was one of the guys who pushed Leonard Fournette out of Jacksonville, and um, you know he made it so that it was possible for a guy like Leonard Fournette to be expendable. And it, it wasn't so much that Leonard Fournette was a bad back; it's just you have a younger and cheaper option. And so um, James Robinson has lived up to that, and I give him kudos. He did exactly what you're supposed to do as a rookie, which is get get the veterans out out of town you know, get them some trade value and, uh, you know, go out and have a good season. And so that's what he's done. Um, the other guy is Clyde Edward Zeller. He was a guy, uh, you know, who I thought was more of a day two pick. And what I noticed with him is that I underestimated his athleticism. I underestimated what kind of athlete he was at LSU. Um, I thought a lot of the reason why he got picked in the first round was because of being a one-year starter at LSU, his success in that one year, I thought I thought that really Andy Reid just wanted a guy who could carry the load and take a lot of workload and didn't have a lot of tread on his tires. But really, I see that he's actually an underrated athlete. I give I give them credit for going with Edward Zeller. And another one that I want to mention is uh, Michael Onwenu. He's from the Patriots, a Michigan guy, and you know he he's actually he's actually been a very good offensive tackle for the Patriots and. Um, this isn't a guy who really stood out, you know, as far as tape or, 
you know, at the Combine or anything like that. But he's having a really nice season with the Patriots. And one of the things I, I notice about Bill Belichick is his teams always seem to know how to draft offensive linemen. I mean, that that's one thing is, you know, like the guys they've always found were, were never always, you know, the most highly touted or, you know, the most special guys. But he, he just, he seems to find those really smart offensive linemen. Yeah, he always tends to find those offensive linemen that can play multiple positions. And Onweno was an offensive guard in college. And some people felt maybe he could play center. Well, right now he's playing right tackle. Obviously, he can do a number of things. And I think that's the one thing that the Patriots do value. If if they have a couple of guys that they like, they usually would go with the guy that can play multiple positions. And Onweno has certainly been a hit. Speaking of offensive linemen, I got to give Tristan Wirfs uh, his due. He's been one of the better offensive tackles, not only rookie offensive tackles, just NFL offensive tackles. He's only given up, I think, one sack throughout this season. He's really held up well against some some tough competition. Also, your guy, Jedrick Wills from Alabama. I mean, he has solidified that left tackle spot He's been protecting Baker Mayfield really well in pass protection. He needs to get better as a run blocker, but as far as uh, pass protection, I mean, he's been he's been really good this year. I got to say that Chase Young, there were a couple of games that I watched that he was just double teamed. Now, obviously, teams are paying respect to Chase Young this year, even with him being a rookie. He hasn't put up, like, huge stats out there. I think he only has, like, two and a half sacks. Opposing teams are paying attention to him, so I imagine that Chase Young is going to become that that special player in in his second year. And I also want to mention a couple of safeties: Antoine Winfield Jr. for the Bucks. I've mentioned him a couple of times. He just seems to make those game-saving plays and seems to you know have those ball skills. He, he's a ball hawk in there. And Julian Blackman for the Colts uh, really actually had a big game. Last weekend, he's a rookie from Utah, very versatile player. Uh, he could play a number of positions out there in the secondary, and he's been he's been a good one. Third round pick from Utah. This week, Bavada has the Chiefs as a minus three and a half point favorite versus the Bucks. I want to get your thoughts. Is this going to be an offensive shootout? Because obviously Brady didn't have a good game. You know the Chiefs. I mean, they obviously. Uh, Against the Raiders, they showed the the type of offensive firepower that they have by marching down, you know, for a touchdown in that two minute drill. Is this going to be an offensive shootout? And uh, is Brady and the Bucks are they going to be able to to bounce back? This is going to be an offensive shootout, and I think this is this is a game that Mahomes can win. I mean, this is you know when 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 it becomes a shootout, that's that's when Mahomes you know that's when Mahomes succeeds. You know, I mean, Brady is you know a better overall quarterback career in in, in a career accomplishments, but Brady's style is more you know relies on uh, relies on kind of winning in situational football and stuff like that. I mean, he's not he's not going to put up like unbelievable stats and this is the way that Patrick Mahomes wins in this era well Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback right now in the game but Brady has that chip on his shoulder after throwing a couple of bad picks against the Los Angeles Rams and we all know that when Brady has a bad game he's not gonna have another bad game back to back so he's gonna be ready and 
he's going to be attacking that that Chiefs vulnerable defense. But what the Bucks need to do is they need to get Ronald Jones going on the ground or Leonard Fournette because the Chiefs run defense isn't good. And if you want to keep Mahomes on the sideline, you need to get the, the running game going. All right, let's move on from the NFL and let's talk about college football. The college football playoff rankings were released and Alabama is number one. I guess that's not a surprise. What do you think about that? And it looks like Saban is going to miss this game because he's got another case of COVID-19 and uh, he's not going to be on the sideline against the the Auburn Tigers. Is this going to affect this team this week? Well, I, I think the Alabama system is such a machine that you don't you don't need Nick Saban to call the shots to know to know how this team is run. I mean, you know, he doesn't just coach himself. I mean, he builds he builds you know a program you know that that is just layers and layers and layers of talent and success. So, you know, I mean, it was the same thing when Ohio State lost Urban Meyer. It's just you know, great programs know how to. You know, they always have that next guy up. You know, they always have that Ryan Day to be ready. Well, like I said, not having Nick Saban on the sidelines against the Auburn Tigers, I think it's going to hurt them. Just realizing that Nick Saban always has full control of that sideline. And he's got to be on that cell phone out there somewhere at his back and call. At number two, we've got the Notre Dame Irish. And they have moved on after beating Clemson. And this week, Bovada has uh, the Irish as a five-point favorite over number 19, UNC. It's going to be a great defense against a great offense because the, the Tar Heels can score. They can score in bunches. They've got Sam Howell, a quarterback. They've got two wide receivers and De'Ami Brown on the outside and Daz Newsom in the slot. But I think what Notre Dame is going to be able to do, they're going to be able to to shut down that running game that UNC was so effective with, with Javante Williams and Michael Carter. Do you give UNC a shot here? I mean, they've got a great offense, but they can't stop anybody on defense. Are you going to go with Notre Dame in this game? I am, and I think think really what it is that's been helping Notre Dame is the defensive side of the ball. I mean, the defensive side of the ball is shutting down teams. Clemson didn't have Trevor Lawrence, but, you know, the, the Clemson Tigers still had... Baby Cam. Baby Cam. Baby yeah, Cam. they had Baby Cam. So, I mean, it's not it's not like Clemson... I mean, he's shut down good offenses this year. I mean, BC has a pretty good offense. I mean, th- this isn't a... This isn't a team that you know can't shut down a team like UNC. I I think Notre Dame is is going to come out the victors of this game. I'm not too worried. All right, number three, we've got the Clemson Tigers, and Trevor Lawrence is going to be back, and it's going to be interesting to watch this offense in the ACC championship game, the rematch between. Notre Dame and Clemson. I think everybody wants to watch that. Number four, we've got the Ohio State Buckeyes, arguably the best team in the nation, but people are not giving them their dues, especially after it looked like Indiana was going to come back in that game, Ed. I mean, I thought the Ohio State Buckeyes were going to be rusty in the beginning, that Indiana was going to hang around until halftime, and then the Buckeyes would take off. Well, that wasn't the case. The Buckeyes came out swinging. They had a big-time lead. And then the Indiana Hoosiers all of a sudden came back in that game and, and made it interesting. And, and the Buckeyes only won by a touchdown. 
I give I give Indiana credit for the run that they had. I mean, before this game, I mean they they won a lot of tough games. I thought they really coached well, and I thought they were you know I thought they were a tough team to beat. I didn't think they were going to beat Ohio State, but you got to give you got to give the Hoosiers credit for the season that they're having. They are. I mean, their defense is playing really well, and uh, the the secondary kept them in that game, and they made some plays with Michael Penix at, at quarterback and. Ty Freifogel is it's turning out to be a stud during his senior year. Three more SEC teams in the top 10. Texas A&M Aggies at number five. The Florida Gators and Kyle Trask at number six. Georgia with two losses at number nine. Still getting a lot of respect just because it's the SEC. Despite being a two-loss team. Despite losing double digits losses to Alabama and Florida. Cincinnati is at number seven, the, the highest team that's not in the, in the Power Five conferences. Northwestern, another Big Ten representative, is at number eight. The Miami Hurricanes check in at number 10 with De'Ara King leading the charge. BYU, obviously they haven't played anyone, Ed. But BYU is sitting only at number 14. BYU basically said, we'll play anybody. And then Washington Huskies came out and said, hey, do you want to play us? And BYU decided to pass on that invitation. I mean, that would have been good for BYU to face off against the Washington Huskies because they haven't played anyone. And that was their chance to maybe get into the top 10 if if they beat Washington. I think what they did with the rankings, and I... I, I... I kind of like it. Is sometimes I think in the past they've they've sort of given favoritism to teams that haven't played anybody but have won all their games. And really this year they kind of just said, you know what, who would be favored in what game, and who is the who 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 do we think is the better team? You know they made bold moves like they made the bold move of putting Clemson number three, you know, over the number four team, even though they had one loss. And and they've done all kinds of things like that. They're they're making these teams earn it. And to be honest with you, I mean, a team like Ohio State, yeah, they're undefeated, but I mean their season just started. I mean, I I I agree with the way the college football committee has has set things up, and I mean it's bound to change. I mean that it changes every week. It's so I, I, I give the I give the committee credit. I thought they really thought things out. I think they made a lot of the right moves. Well, you're not going to make everyone happy, and that's just that's the whole theme. The committee is just doing its due diligence, and it's amazing. I looked at the original schedule that BYU was supposed to have, those non-conference games before all the conferences, all the big conferences canceled. They were supposed to play against Utah. They were supposed to play against Michigan State. They were supposed to face off against Arizona State, Minnesota, Missouri, which is an SEC school, and Stanford. That would have been a pretty good schedule for Zach Wilson and BYU if if they would have kept that original schedule. Unfortunately, again, it's a different year. It's a little bit crazy this year with COVID. It's just the reality that we live in. I want to give shout out to a couple of undefeated teams that are in the rankings. Two undefeated teams from the group of five. Coastal Carolina, 8-0. They, they're sitting at number 20. They're just coming off a win against Appalachian State. That was a pretty good win for them. And Marshall. Uh, Marshall has been a great story this year. They have a really good defense, and they're sitting at number 21 at 7-0. and 
We'd like to welcome Kelly Hines to the show. She is a sports writer for the Tulsa World. She has been there since 2012. Kelly, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So let's get right to it. What do you think has been the key to Tulsa's success this season? You know, I think that really the, the groundwork for, um, you know, a successful season had been laid, you know, before this year. If you look back to, to last season, a lot of close losses. I felt like the team really wasn't that far off from, you know, being able to win some games, just, you know, needed to have a few more plays, a few more players brought in. And, you know, I think they were able to uh, really build on, um, especially what they did in November. November was kind of when they got things going last season. Despite, you know, not having a normal spring or summer or fall camp, you know, I, I felt like they still had some momentum going into this year. Really just been able to put it together. I think this is Philip Montgomery's most complete team. Certainly really good on defense. The offense has been very up and down. Uh, still a work in progress. But, you know, I, I think when you're able to rely on your defense, that um, makes you competitive and, and really having a lot of luck, a little bit of magic, you know, to be able to pull off some dramatic comebacks. The team is 5-1 and one right now. The, the only loss was against Oklahoma State, and it looked like they might have won that game because it was really close in the season opener. Has this team exceeded your expectations, Kelly? Yeah, I, I think so. You know, to be um, undefeated in the American, which I think is a, a good conference, coming down to the end of the season now um, to be contending for a conference championship. I did not think that that was going to be a possibility, just, you know, looking at the other teams in the conference and what they had back and, you know, Tulsa kind of getting, getting lost and all of that. You know, I, I just thought that it was going to be a really big challenge to, you know, to finish above um, 500, you know, um, especially when, when games started uh, being crossed off the schedule games, I thought were winnable for Tulsa you start to think, man, this is this is going to be a, a, a tough slate. And to see, you know, how Tulsa's been able to, you know, especially since that Oklahoma State game, to, to you know, win five games in a row, that's a surprise for me, for sure. Uh, this team has just been all about the comebacks this year. They erased, what, an 18-point deficit against UCF. SMU led them 24 to 7 at halftime and then this past week against Tulane they were trailing by 14 points going into the fourth quarter. Tell us about some of these improbable comebacks and this last week's comeback. I mean that was a third string quarterback leading them to to a win in overtime. Four out of five wins a season, Tulsa's come back from double digit deficits, you know, down 18 points, 14 points, 21 points then 14 points um, last week. So can't even put into words, uh, you know, that Tulane game, how that, how that played out was probably the craziest game I've ever covered. Um, so many moments in that game that I thought, well, they're not going to come back from that. They're not going to be able to do that. You know, every single time being absolutely stunned. And, you know, all of these games have been on deadline, very, very uh, stressful situations trying to like come up with, you know, ways to describe things that you literally just would have to see it happen to believe it. I mean, what Davis Brin did against Tulane, the Hail Mary um, with six seconds left, a touchdown on fourth and 15. I mean, there were just so many crazy moments. And then, you know, the the way the game actually ended was, was David Collins, um, his 96-yard 
interception return. I mean, there were just so many moments that were just incredible, but that's just how the season has been. Factor in all of the schedule disruptions um, up to seven now, um, postponements or cancellations, and it just makes for a very wild ride. Uh, Philip Montgomery is in his sixth season as the head coach of this program. How would you rate his tenure so far? Yeah, it's been very up and down. Um, you know, he came in and, and um, you know, had success pretty much immediately, uh, putting up a lot of points, a lot of yards, as we talked about before. Um, you know, the the season that he had in 2016, 10 wins, and a huge win in the bowl game, and you felt like things were trending in the right direction. But everything changes when you, you know, have erratic quarterback play, you know, and that's kind of what the, the previous three years were like, you know, to, to not have a great situation at quarterback. You know, I think that changed everything, certainly on offense. They weren't able to do what they needed to do there. Um, the defense certainly um, has, has been pretty solid the last few years. But then going into this year, uh, it was really putting it all together, you know, getting quarterback play where it needed to be and, um, you know, again, relying on, on the defense to just, you know, keep teams off the board. You know, I, I think that season – it definitely has, has changed the opinions, you know, that people around here have about Philip Montgomery. It went from, um, you know, he's not getting the job done to this guy, you know, could win a conference championship, um, which obviously they still have work left to do. But to even be in that conversation, you know, I, I definitely think that there's, you know, a lot less criticism when you're having a season like this. Has senior quarterback Zach Smith taken that step forward this year? You know, I think he has, and I think um, what's helped has been the offensive line, which has really improved. You know, last year they replaced a lot of guys that had a lot of inexperience up front. That got sacked 39 times last year. I mean, that's that's not going to be the recipe for any success on offense when, when you have that many sacks and just, you know, a lot of turnovers as a, as a result of, you know, the, the protection just not being there. There have been, you know, some up and down moments this season for sure, certainly in the first quarter. Uh, you know, when, when Zach is struggling to get into a rhythm, um, it can be a little bit painful to watch, and that's when those turnovers are happening. But then it's just so beautiful when he does get into a rhythm and he's really able to move the ball down the field, and he's been able to do some good things. You know, if you compare his stats first quarter versus the final three quarters, it's pretty staggering to see the difference. How is his injury, uh, Kelly? Is he going to be able to come back? I know you don't have a game this weekend that was canceled against Houston due to the coronavirus, but uh, is he going to be healthy next time Tulsa plays? I would think so. Um, you know, I think it was probably going to be close. He was day-to-day, you know, this week with, you know, what they were describing as a torso injury, which is pretty much as big as it, it possibly could be, but it seemed to be a, a rib injury. You know, those can be somewhat a, a pain tolerance deal. So they were kind of, they were going to see how he progressed through the week to see whether he'd be able to play. But I, I would think, um, by next week, you know, I, I would expect him to be able to play by then. What has linebacker Zaven Collins meant to this team? Oh, man. Zaven, the way he plays, he's extremely well-liked on the team, well-respected, because he, you know, will put in the work. You know, he has a lot of natural ability, great size. I mean, he could be 6'4", um, 260, he obviously has a lot of ability, but he's really progressed this season because he spent a lot of time studying, watching film, learning defenses. Um, you know, he knows what he's supposed to do. He doesn't try to do anybody else's job. 
you know, he's so versatile with, with how he can be used the team's success, especially on defense. You know, they've really relied on him. And that's even, you know, getting to this point in the season when offenses are trying to avoid him as much as possible. And it's still not that possible. The success that he's had, that's why this team is, is winning games, especially these last two weeks, you know, wrapped up the victory, both, both the, the last two games with um, interceptions. And that's just a small part of what he does. I mean, it's, it's just, um, it's been really incredible to watch him. You know, he's a guy who, who is from um, just outside the Tulsa area. This means a lot to his family. He didn't have any other Division One offers. Um, and the offer from Tulsa came late July uh, before his senior year. You know, to see it all come together um, and see how his journey kind of has played out, it's just been one of the big storylines for this season. Besides Collins, what has impressed you about this defense? You know, David's the first to admit, you know, it's not just one guy out there. You have to have everything going right for one guy to make a play. And I think that, you know, it starts with the the secondary. Tulsa has some pretty skilled cornerbacks, and that's even with uh, Reggie Robinson, you know, going to the NFL last year. So, you know, they have a lot of experience with Allie Green and Caleb Evans. They have a basically a sixth-year senior back there in, in Christian Williams at safety. Darren Ray, I, I think, um, has a chance to be one of the best safeties in program history. He's only a sophomore now. And then up front, it's worked what they've, you know, ever since Tulsa went to the, and they changed their, their defensive scheme and, and you know, having um, three guys up front, it's worked well because um, it suits really their personnel because they do have a lot of really athletic, fast um, DBs and and. Then up front, they they have some guys who are pretty impressive. Jackson Player, you know, probably the most notable of those. He's a guy who just makes plays. He's he's not very tall. He's low to the ground, and he can be very disruptive. Um, what, what Zayvon does at linebacker, that the linebacker crew, I think, is, is really solid. They have all of the pieces, and it, they've gotten them to work really well together. You mentioned the offensive line a little bit earlier, but I just want to hear your thoughts, how they've been able to to stabilize the, the big uglies up front this year. Yeah, I, you know, I think that early on they, there were penalties and, you know, they were still trying to get it together, but it's a group of guys who um, have meshed well. It's just it, it took some time. You know, I, I think um, Tyler Smith at left tackle, you know, he's, only a redshirt freshman. I think he has a chance to be a freshman All-American. Um, by the time he's, he's done at Tulsa, I, I think that he'll be getting a lot more notice. It's just been a matter of those guys um, just getting experience, and, and they've been really solid. Um, you know, certainly cutting down the penalties has helped. What's your prediction for the Cincinnati game on December 12th? Oh, man. I just want to see that game played at this point, you know, it's just uh, that that was a game that was supposed to happen several weeks ago and, and got pushed back and then got pushed back again. Um, you know, I, I think that that's going to be a huge challenge for Tulsa. You know, it, it, it does help that, you know, it's a home game for Tulsa, but you know, Cincinnati, I just think is a little bit, you know, a step above everybody, um, all the other group of five teams. I, I think that, this could be the year for somebody to, to crash the party. I don't know if it will happen, but, you know, I think that they have certainly the defense to get it done. You know, I, I think their offense is really good too. They have a really good quarterback. I think it'll be a challenge for Tulsa, um, you know, certainly on offense uh, to score some points. But, you know, having seen Tulsa pull off just the craziest things imaginable, um, it would be hard to count them out of that game. 
I know you're a Heisman voter, Kelly. Who's your front runner for the Heisman right now? Oh, man, I'm not even ready to think about it. Trask, I think you, you have to talk about him, but, you know, I, I, I'm just not quite there yet. You know, I, especially around here, people, you know, when they find out I'm a Heisman voter, they're, they're wanting to talk about Zayvon Collins. Does he have a chance? I'm not even sure at this point. I still feel like there's so much football left to be played, yet you look at the calendar and it's almost December. So I don't know. I'm going to have to really uh, buckle down and, and watch a lot these last few weeks to figure that out. Kelly, please tell our listeners where they can find your work. Um, you can find uh, my work at TulsaWorld.com. I have a pretty expansive feature on Zayvon Collins coming up in a few days. Um, I'm sure my editors would love for me to uh, get some web traffic on that. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, Kelly Hines TW. Well, enjoy your Thanksgiving, and thank you for being with us. Anytime. Uh, this was another episode of Blitzcast. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Take care.